Welcome to the I Am Persuaded podcast with Travis Shelton. Our desire is to provide weekly encouragement and biblical truths so that you too can be persuaded that He is able. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Now, let's hear what Pastor Travis has to say. Welcome back to the I Am Persuaded podcast. Thank you so much for just tuning in and listening to this episode. I greatly appreciate you and your just willingness to listen to the episodes as they're posted. And so thank you so much. I would encourage you, if you have a friend that might be struggling with their walk with Jesus, you have a friend that has just questions about their faith, I would encourage you to share this podcast with them. Uh, we've answered a lot of questions, biblical questions, and they're on they're on the log here on this, on this podcast, and they might be a help to someone. So share it on social media, share it with your friends, text it to someone that might be standing in need, and I, I would greatly appreciate that. Last episode, we started looking at this idea of what does it mean to walk in our relationship with Jesus. I posed this thought to you that a lot of Christians, they're saved. They can take me back to a time and a place where they've placed their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. But through just different circumstances in their life, they've never truly learned what it means to walk in Jesus. And so we're called out of Colossians 2 and verse 6 that we're to walk in Him, we're to walk in Jesus in our relationship with Jesus. It's actually a command there in Colossians chapter 2. And so today and for the next couple of episodes, I kind of want to continue that theme with what does it mean to walk in our relationship with Jesus. And today, I just want to pick up where we left off last time in Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 15. So here's what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom ye also are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses blotting out the handwriting and ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. So I want to speak on this thought today, on this episode, speaking about our identity. And something you'll find among Christians who are attempting to walk in their relationship with Jesus is they don't really know who they are inside of Jesus. Now, Paul, if you read his letters in the New Testament, especially Ephesians, he really lays out in the first three chapters who we are in Jesus. And here in Colossians, he kind of carries that same theme about who we are. And Paul really wants us as Christians to really understand who we are in our relationship with Jesus because the the fact of the matter is if we're not certain in who we are in Jesus and in our salvation, we're never going to be able to walk in him like we're called to in Colossians chapter 2. And so as he continues this theme of us walking in Jesus, verses 9 through 15, he's really illustrating to us who we are, and how that impacts our daily walk with Jesus. And so as we just to preface last week's uh, last episode, we just talked we talked about walking is a vital part in our growing relationship with Jesus. Just like the illustration I gave, when you were a newborn and begin to walk, that was a huge phase in your 
your life. Now walking is second nature because you've grown and received proper training and nourishment. So is true with our spiritual walk. Walking is a big deal. We're called as Christians to walk in Christ. And if we are growing in Christ, then we are walking in Christ. But if we do not first learn how to walk in Jesus, we're never going to grow in Christ. And so if we don't understand we need daily scripture reading, that's our nourishment. If we're not reading scripture daily, we're not growing and we're not walking. We cannot be growing in Christ without proper nourishment. And so if I were to give you a pop quiz or to lay a piece of paper in front of you and say you have one question, you have as long as you want to write this essay, and here's the question, who are you? What would you say? A lot of people would answer the question, I am whatever my career is. I am a mom. I am a father. I am a sister, a brother, a son, a daughter. And so a lot of us in our life, we've asked ourselves the question, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? But I would say this is truly a pandemic among Christians, among young people, and even older Christians in the faith. The world and false teachers will attempt to tell you who you are, and that will always be a false identity. The world will push at you. You are with all of your material objects. That's who you are. You are with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. That's who you are. And they'll try to sum up who you are in all the wrong places. But all of these things, they're not necessarily bad. It's not wrong to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not wrong to have a good job. It's not wrong to have nice material objects. But if we let those define who we are, we're not going to be walking as, we sh- as we're called to out of Colossians chapter 2. Now, we as Christians ought to know who we are. You've sung the song. You've heard it sung. I am who I am because you say who I am. And so we, a lot of us say we believe that, but do we truly live out who Jesus says that we are. So I would recommend do a deep dive study of Ephesians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2 to take a look at who Jesus says that you are and live in that. So the first thing I want to pull out from this passage is a simple thought, but it is you are complete. You are complete. Verse 9 says this, For in him dwelleth all fullness of the Godhead bodily. Then verse 10, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So if you had to answer the question, what does it mean to be complete? What would your answer be? Or we could reword the question, what does it mean to be fulfilled in life? Again, again, what would your answer be to that question? A lot of people would probably say, uh, my material objects fill me up, or my friend group fills me up, or my job fills me up, or being with this specific person, that makes me complete. And I've read countless Instagram posts and Facebook posts and had countless conversations that's been made to someone or about someone or in regards to a job. And it will read, I was incomplete before I found you or I was incomplete before I found my purpose in this job and something along those lines. You've read the post. Maybe you've said that before. And that's great that you find fulfillment to a certain degree inside of a person or a relationship or a job. But the issue is that will not provide permanent, complete satisfaction and fulfillment. Even in a marriage, two become one. Me and Christiana, when we joined and said our vows and made a commitment before God, we, we became one because we're married together. But at the end of the day, that's not what completes us. And a marriage is not what completes you. It's part of God's plan, but it's not what completes us. So what does complete a Christian? Verse 9 says this, For in him dwelleth all fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
Paul makes a very bold claim here that is vital to our faith in Jesus. Here's what he's saying. In Jesus Christ, he is completely God. At the same time he was fully man in a body, he was also and is also God in deity. And so Jesus being fully God, very vital to our faith. If he were not God, we would not have salvation today. So Paul's claim here is Jesus was and still is 100% God, not 99.4% God, not even 99.9% God. Jesus is and always has been and always will be fully God. And because of that truth, we can take part in the blessing of verse 9 regarding who we are. Listen to the verse. And ye, you, are complete or fulfilled in him. That Greek word for complete simply means to be fulfilled. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And so here's what the verse says. Here's Paul's thought. You as a believer in Jesus, one who is called to walk in Jesus, you're complete in Jesus. The Greek word simply means to be fulfilled. Now, remember verse 8 from last episode. The world produces empty deception. The world produces false hope. The world will leave you with a void that it cannot fill. That is the mark of sin. Sin left mankind without a relationship with God, empty and deceived, hopelessly lost, incomplete because of sin and unfulfilled. But look at the contrast here. In Jesus, we are complete. In Jesus, we are fulfilled. Listen, that is who we are. Once we place our faith in Jesus as our Savior, we are 100% complete and fulfilled. But here's the question. Do we live like it? He is the source and answer to all of our questions in life. But so many times we refuse to go to him for answers. We refuse to go to him for help when he is the one that died to complete us. Then Paul ends the verse by saying he is the head over all. So when the enemy attempts to sway us, when the enemy attempts to tempt us and say that we're not complete in Jesus and we must be fulfilled in everything but the word and but Jesus, we have a promise that he is in charge and he declares who we are, not Satan. So a consistent walk with Jesus produces in your life a fulfilled and satisfied life. I talk to many Christians, teenagers, uh, adults, elderly Christians who just seem to not be fulfilled. There's this constant lifestyle and pattern that's produced in our culture that we've got to have more, we've got to do more, we've got to be more, and who we are is defined by our success in life. Well, here comes Paul with a, an amazing theological truth that you, when you placed your faith in Jesus, you received everything you ever need to succeed in life because you're fulfilled in Jesus. The world doesn't fulfill you. Jesus fulfills you. So you can have no money, no material objects and still be fulfilled because Jesus and your relationship with him, that is what fulfills you as a believer. The second thought about who you are is simple. It's from verse 11. You are made new. You are a new creature. Here's what Paul writes. In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
So verse 11 provides us with an amazing truth that is taught in other passages of the New Testament as well. And here Paul speaks of the act of circumcision. The act here is to cut something off and do away with it. Now, in the Old Testament, this was a command for all young baby boys under the Mosaic law. But that's not what Paul is speaking about here in the New Testament. He is referring to an inward circumcision that takes place when we believe on Jesus. We place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Paul is speaking about the fleshly circumcision of the inward man that takes place right when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Our old nature at that moment is cut away. Our sinful state is done away with. Our sins are paid for. Our debt is is paid for. Now, we still live in the flesh because we are uh, we're still living on earth. And so we have not taken on Jesus's complete perfection, but we have received a new life with new desires and with new passions. Paul writes it like this in 2 Corinthians 5:17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Again, Paul speaks of once we are in Christ Jesus, our old nature has been cut away, has been removed. That is what Paul is speaking about here in verse 11. When we have placed our faith in Jesus as Savior, he gives us a new life by taking away what does not belong in the life of a believer, and he fills that void to complete us and to make us new. This is all possible because of what Jesus did and accomplished 2,000 years ago. Paul says this new life was not made without hands, not made by human nature. The wording is used three times in Scripture, and it always refers to Jesus' resurrected body. So what Paul is saying here, this inward circumcision, this new life, it's not by any human doing, only by Jesus. Therefore, Paul is saying, Spiritual circumcision, it's by the Spirit. When one believes on the resurrected Lord, the flesh and the curse of the flesh and the curse of the sin is cut off and you are made new. So who are you? Well, you're complete in Jesus and you're a new individual because of Jesus. Then thirdly, we see that you and I are raised with Jesus. This is a fantastic thought. You and I are raised with Jesus. Verse 12 says this, buried with him in baptism wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. That phrase in verse 12, wherein also ye are raised with him. Him is Jesus. I love these last few verses of this text. They all speak of things that have already taken place. But now you might be thinking, Travis, I was not present 2,000 years ago when Jesus was bodily resurrected from the tomb. And you're right. But he was there representing you. He was there representing me. He came on your behalf. He left heaven to leave the portal of glory, to, st to, to stand in the place for you and to pay for your sins so that you and I could have salvation. So the verse starts off by saying, we were buried with him in baptism. Literally what Paul is saying here is as Jesus laid in the tomb, so did we. 
Just like when Adam sinned in the garden, so did we. So when Jesus laid in the tomb paying for our sins, Paul says, we were there also. Then Paul goes on to say, through baptism, now this is not water baptism, but it's mentioning spiritual baptism. This occurs when you place your faith in Jesus. It is our salvation or regeneration in Christ. Remember, water baptism is only a public identification that you're now saved and you now know Jesus. But when you place your faith in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you are regenerated in that moment, baptized with the Spirit as He comes to dwell on the inside of you. At that moment, you were baptized into the family of God. Ephesians 1 says that we were baptized and adopted into the family of God. So Paul says we were with Christ in his death, but we were also with Christ in his resurrection. We took part in a very real resurrection with Jesus Christ. When Jesus came out of the grave alive, all who will place their faith in Jesus as Savior literally walked out with him, never to experience eternal separation from Jesus because he paid for it for us. So how do you take part in this? How does this become part of your identity through faith? The verse goes on to say, you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Through you believing in God's mode of salvation, you receive Jesus and you take part in the death, the burial, and the resurrection so that you receive salvation. Then I love this thought. Who are you? You are alive and forgiven. You are alive and forgiven. Verse 13 says this, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, the Greek word for quickened means to be made alive, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses. Verse 14, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So the first clause in verse 13 or that first phrase, it it signifies that we were dead in our sins. That's who we were. That is the story of who we were before Jesus. And listen, that is where Satan wants to keep you. He wants to keep you dead in your sin. He never wants you to walk with Jesus. When mankind sinned in the garden, Adam represented us and we all became spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 speaks of this as we were literally lifeless in our spiritual state. We had no spiritual heartbeat. We were There was no life support. We were in our sins declared dead. And again, that is what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 2. Dead was our state. Breathless was our state. Lifeless was who we were. And that is what sin does to us. That is how sin wants to leave us. Dead. Lifeless. For eternity, when we were in our sin and we had not received the circumcision of the flesh, we lived and obeyed our sinful nature. That's all we knew. We lived to obey our flesh and our sinful desires. But friend, that is who you were. Notice what verse 12, what verse 13 says. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Ephesians 2 says, ye were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's who we were. But here is who you are. Quickened. Look at the Listen to the verse. Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you 
of all trespasses. So that's who you are. The word quickened literally in the Greek means to be made alive. So you were dead, but in Jesus, you're made alive. That is who you are now through Jesus. You were dead, but you're alive. Like the old song, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. We could say, I was dead, but now I'm alive because of the truth of Jesus giving us life. And in the giving of life that Jesus offers you, he also forgives you of all of your sins, all of the sins that declare you dead, he forgives you. The verse goes on to say, having forgiven you of all your sins. The verse does not say forgiven you partially or forgiven you of a few, but not the one that no one knows about. No, the verse says all. And the simple thought, what does all mean? It literally means all of them. So Paul says Jesus has forgiven every single one of your sins when he died upon the cross. To accept that, you just ask for his forgiveness and place your faith in him as your personal Lord and Savior. Then the next verse, verse 14, goes on to say, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He has blotted out our sin debt. The Greek word here could literally mean to cancel, to do away with. To completely wipe away for all of eternity. So literally like a blackboard or chalkboard, you can write whatever you want on there, but you take that eraser and wipe it all away and it's gone. You can't see it anymore. That is what Jesus has done with his, his victorious death on the cross. He has erased. He has canceled out. He has blotted out my sin debt and your sin debt. Literally what Paul is getting at here is simple. We had a large debt that was against us. Quite honestly, truthfully, we could never pay it back with money, with works, with deeds. Nothing could pay back this debt. And so imagine there's a legal document kept with a record of all of your sins that apart from Jesus, you would have to pay on your own, kind of like an auto loan for your car. Each month you get a statement showing how much debt you still owe. Then finally, years later, when you make that last payment, you receive that final statement that says paid in full. That is what this verse is speaking about. When Jesus was on the cross, he took upon himself every sin that we would ever commit so that our debt could be paid in full. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, we had a debt that we could never repay. But Jesus on the cross, he yelled out, It is finished. But that's actually one word in the Greek vocabulary, to telestai, which is interpreted paid in full. Meaning when we place our faith in him as Savior, we receive the eternal statement that we have no more debt. Jesus paid it all in full and stamped with his precious blood is to telestai. Your debt, my debt, has been paid in full. That's who we are. We're a forgiven individual in Jesus, and we can confirm that it's finished. As Paul writes, it has been nailed to the cross. Listen, the cross sealed the deal. Our sin, once we're saved, will not be brought back up by Jesus ever again to us. So what is that one sin that every single time you're tempted, you give into it? You fall into that sin every single time the temptation arises. I would encourage you right now, Remind Satan about that sin's past. It was nailed to the cross as your precious Savior hung there. He bled and he died for you. And that sin was nailed to the cross with him. And so he shed that blood for you. 
He declared victory over that sin so that you can declare victory over that sin. Listen, that sin has no power over you any longer. You don't live with a fleshly desire. It has no pull over you. You are who Jesus says that you are. Walk in being an alive and forgiven Christian. Then the last thought is this. He is victorious, and because he is victorious, you are victorious. Verse 15 says this, Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Verse 15 proves that Satan has no power. Jesus has boldly declared that he is victor over sin and the enemy. Satan tempts us. His demons tempt us. He constantly thinks he has power over us. But listen to what the verse states took place after the cross. It says, and having spoiled principalities, Jesus spoiled the enemy. The Greek word for spoiled means to disarm or paints the expression of complete removal. This verse is in the in the tense in the Greek, which speaks in the past tense. In other words, this is not something that will take place. This is something that took place at the cross and the resurrection. Satan himself, listen to this, has been disarmed. He knew all the way back in Genesis 3.15 that this would happen. And it happened 2,000 years ago as Jesus hung on the cross. He was disarmed of all of his arsenal, of all of his weapons. And the wording here in verse 15 paints the picture of complete victory. And Jesus did so openly so that others could see. Listen at the verse. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show or a spectacle of Satan openly for all to see. Jesus defeated him publicly. So there's no question that Jesus Christ has won the battle. There's no question that Jesus Christ is victorious. Then he goes on to say, triumphing over them. He is in control and he is victorious. And so because Jesus is victorious, do you know what that makes you? You are victorious over sin. You are victorious over Satan. Not because of anything you have done, not because of your material objects, not because of the accolades that you have, but because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. So I hope this section of scripture has been an encouragement to you. I truly hope that through these episodes, last one, this one, and a few more, that you will truly understand what it means to walk in Jesus. But before you can begin to walk in Jesus, you must first start understanding who you are in Jesus. He declares you a victor. He declares you forgiven. He declares you alive. He declares you complete. And understanding these truths help us walk through the storms of life. Help us walk through the difficult situations of life so that we can and we are victorious and fulfilled in our life. And this is not a prosperity gospel. This is simple truth that in Jesus, we received everything we would ever need. So does that mean we'll go through difficult times? Well, yeah, we will, but we're still complete because of Jesus. Does that mean we might get the bad doctor's report? Quite possibly, but we're still complete and fulfilled in Jesus. We're still forgiven. We're still alive. We're still quickened. We're still made new because of Jesus. And so when we walk in who we are, when we go through seasons of life, we can just praise Jesus for who he is and what he's done. I pray you'll have a great Friday and God bless. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the I Am Persuaded podcast, please consider subscribing and share with your friends. 
We pray this is a blessing in your life. God bless.